Welcome to Negotiation Made Simple, where we help you master the art of negotiation and win the next deal. I'm your host, John Lowry. On this episode, we are going to dive into a very important topic that will determine your success or failure in a negotiation, and it's the subject of preparation. Preparation is absolutely key, but what happens is many times negotiators will prepare on the wrong aspect of negotiation. They'll spend all their time preparing for substance. What I wanna do over the next three episodes, starting right now, is to help you prepare for the process because it's how you manage the process that will deliver the deal. In this series, we're going to go through a list of questions that are really important to answer as part of your preparation process. But in this episode, I'm also going to answer a really important question from a viewer about how to establish a bottom line. Let's jump into part one of a three episode series on the importance of preparation in negotiation. Preparation is the key to success in negotiation. And so, This episode will be the first of a three-part series where we spend some time thinking about preparation. And I want to give you some very practical ways in which you can prepare for your next negotiation. Now, all of us have a vision of the great deal, right? Uh, We think about that upcoming salary negotiation, and we envision what we would do with the extra money. Uh, Perhaps some of us have already spent it in our head in terms of if we get the raise, what are we going to do in terms of improving our lifestyle? We have the vision of going in and cutting that deal and being successful and enjoying the fruits of that hard work and that successful negotiation. And so it's really easy to come up with the vision. What's more difficult is to actually deliver the deal. And that's where preparation comes in. So think of it this way. In negotiation, there are two aspects. There is substance and there is process. Substance asks, what is the right answer? And so if we put it in the context of our salary negotiation, we have an idea of what we're worth. We have an idea of how much money we would like to make. We perhaps have an idea of how much other people in similar positions make. And that helps anchor what we think we should make. And so coming up with the right answer in terms of how much we should make or what the deal should be or what is ideal for us, that is easy to do. It may require a little preparation, may require a little work, but substantively we can get there pretty easy because there's no resistance to getting there. There's no resistance to the vision uh, that we have in our head of the success in front of us. Where the resistance comes is getting the other side to that place. And that's where the process becomes very important. The process question asks, how do I get the other side to my right answer? And that's where preparation is going to make all of the difference in your success or failure in that negotiation. And so notice with me, as we think about preparation, I'm not asking you to think about preparation on the substance. 
my guess is, is that you will know how to prepare for the substance. And so if you're in sales, I'm assuming that you are going to know your product. You're going to know the problems that it solves, the value that it brings, uh, what utility it has, and how it adds value to whoever it is that you're selling it to. I'm going to assume that you're going to do that preparation as it relates to the substance. Most companies will make you do that. In fact, they'll have long, extensive training programs to help you do that. But just knowing your product, just being able to articulate its value doesn't win the day. In order to win the day, you actually have to be successful in convincing someone that this product has value to the point of them making the investment in it. That's process. That's getting the other side to the right answer. And so that's the hard work I want to lead you through. Because many times people use a let's see what happens approach when they think about the process. They have an idea for maybe round one or two of the negotiation. But beyond that, they really don't have a plan. I love the quote out there that says, your plan's great until someone punches you in the mouth. And then at that moment, all of a sudden, the game plan is off. And now it's total improvisation from that moment forward. Well, that's often how things happen, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's actually a process that I'm going to give to you to where you can prepare not only for what is expected and anticipated, but you can also prepare and be ready for what may not be expected or may not be anticipated. Now you're thinking, John, how on earth do I do that? How do I prepare for something that's not anticipated? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a structure that helps you build your plan. But within that plan, there's flexibility. There's an elasticity to it that as things come up and as the other side takes certain positions or as they communicate things or whatever the case might be, you have the ability to absorb those and to embrace those and yet at the same time, stick to your plan and not throw it out. And so that's where we're headed in terms of this particular process of helping you prepare for every single negotiation. Now, to kick this off, there's about 21 questions that are really, really important. We're going to take just a handful of them in every single episode as we walk through these questions. But the foundational questions to get started are these. First is, what do you want? I am so surprised in how many consultation moments that I get called into to where that becomes the first question. Do we know what we want? And the answer is often no, because many times we answer that question based upon an analysis of what we can get. And so we find ourselves at a place to where we don't know exactly what we want. This is not about what can we get. That's the rest of the process. What we want is what we want. Now, do we have to be realistic? Yes. I'd love to get paid a million dollars every time I show up to speak, but that's not going to happen, at least not anytime soon. And so I do have to be realistic, but I also need to think about what is it that I want in exchange for 
getting on an airplane, flying across the country, giving a keynote speech, staying the night, getting on an airplane, and flying home. That I can come up with. And yes, it has to be reasonable, but it's based upon what you want and what you value, not just an analysis of what you can get. And so the first thing is to really think through what you want. And so the next thing is thinking about alternatives. Again, we're not to process yet. We're still thinking about substance. But the substance is going to guide the process. Remember that idea of what is the right answer? How do I get the other side to the right answer? Well, the other part of the right answer is understanding what your alternatives are and thinking about how do you improve those alternatives. And so in negotiation literature, the idea of BATNA, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, that is what we're talking about right here. And yet it's still substantive in terms of saying, okay, if I'm not able to put a deal together, if I'm not able to get what I want, then what's my alternative? And as is obvious, the stronger your alternative, the more ambitious you can be about what you want. And so really strengthening the alternatives before you get started thinking about the preparation on process, that is really, really good to do. And so if we put this into the car buying experience, here's the moment where you don't necessarily want to go down and sit down at one dealership. It may be a moment to where you want to start on the telephone and you want to begin having conversations with several different dealers to develop your alternatives before you decide to go and to entertain a negotiation with one of them. Or if it's thinking about the salary negotiation that we were talking about, creating alternatives and what you might do from an employment standpoint if the company's not able to give you what you want from a salary standpoint, or how it is that you properly define your role to reflect what it is they are willing to pay you. That's another way in which you can develop some alternatives. Or you may negotiate for other things in terms of identifying what you may want as far as PTO or as far as uh, a retirement match or uh, some of the other things around a compensation package. And so these two questions, these are two questions on substance, but they're foundational questions that are important to identify before we get to process. So the first is, what do you want? The second is, what are your alternatives if you're not able to achieve what you want? Okay, now let's jump in to preparing on process. The, the people that do this well, these are the people that kill it in negotiation. The people that don't pay attention to it and are not intentional at doing this, these are the people that do great until something happens and then they try to improvise and they become vulnerable in doing that. I don't want you to be that person. So let's jump into the negotiator's preparation checklist and let's tackle the first few questions as we get started here. The first question is, who are the parties in the negotiation? So it's really important to think about who it is that you're going to be negotiating with. You want to make sure they're the right people. So do they have the authority to do the deal? Do they have the information needed to do the deal? 
Are they the right people to work the deal with? If you're negotiating with the wrong person, then it's really hard sometimes to get to the finish line. But that can also be a tactic you want to watch out for. For instance, let's go back to the car buying experience. Many times you're dealing with a a salesperson, and yet that salesperson doesn't have the authority. What are they doing? All they're doing is shuttling numbers back and forth between you and the sales manager who does have the authority to give you the discount or to make the concession to get the deal. And so it's important to understand that while, yes, their process sets it up to where you have to work through a salesperson, who you're really negotiating with is that sales manager in the room in the back behind the glass who is making the actual decisions on what to sell that car for. So as we think about the parties, it's important to identify who impacts or who is impacted by the negotiation. And so we want to think broadly about the parties because many times there are parties involved where they might not be at the table, but they will be impacted by this negotiation and they could derail the deal if they don't like the deal. Or you could cut the deal and they may not implement it. And so these are important parties to consider as we think about the negotiation. So the first question is identifying the parties. All right, the second question is to identify the issues. What are the issues? Let me ask it a different way that I think will make it a little more clear. And that is, what are the questions that need to be answered in order for the deal to get done or the problem to get resolved? And so here I'm asking for the big questions, okay? And so if we put it into the context of a contract negotiation, contracts have a bunch of different paragraphs in them. There may be 30 paragraphs in a contract. Each one of those paragraphs is an issue, but not all the issues are the same. Uh, You may have at the end of the contract some boilerplate language that says that um, if there is an act of God, uh, as a result of the act of God that no one was able to control, uh, that the parties will be released from the contractual obligations if something like that were to occur. Okay, so that usually is not a big sticking point in the contract, but the pricing, that is a big sticking point in the contract or the term of the contract. These are all big issues that need to get addressed or big questions that need to get answered in order for that deal to get done or that problem to go away. All right, number three. We have to ask the question about how important are the issues to us? Now, it's important to kind of prioritize those issues because that sets up for something later that we call linkage, which is how we strategically connect different issues in a negotiation. But it also helps us understand a strategy for how to pursue the negotiation. And so if the issues are really, really important to us, but the relationship with the other side isn't that important, we're probably going to be more competitive. If the issues really aren't that important, but the relationship with the other side is, well, in that moment, then we're probably going to be more accommodating. 
So an analysis of how important the issues are becomes really important to us developing our strategy. All right, question four, this is the flip side of that. And here we ask the question, how important is the relationship with the other side to us? And so if the relationship is important, as I just said, we're going to be more accommodating. If the relationship isn't important, we'll probably be more competitive. And so here we have to compare the importance of the issue and the importance of the relationship. All right, so those are the first four questions. We're going to hit pause right here. And then when we come back in episodes two and three, we will tackle the additional questions that will help you build a comprehensive framework for preparing for every negotiation. Okay, so it's time for another question. What we decided to do was to name this segment to where I will answer a question from a viewer. And what we've decided to do is to name this segment the Negotiation Navigator where I will help you navigate some of the more difficult circumstances and challenges when it comes to your negotiations. And so today we have a question from Paul. And Paul writes, Hey, John, I'm a fan of your work in the podcast. I'm a sales leader in the Southeastern United States. I've been in sales for over 20 years and have authority to set my bottom line. As I get into negotiations and it gets difficult, I find myself moving the bottom line just to get the deal done. How do I establish a bottom line and then stick to it without losing the deal or losing the business? Well, Paul, that is a common challenge among many negotiators. And it's probably the number one reason that I get brought in to work with a sales team is the sales leader is concerned about the fact that the sales team, in an effort to get the deals done, are giving away all of the profit in terms of discounts to customers and clients. And so what happens is we set up this bottom line, but we actually, we don't define the bottom line correctly. And so a bottom line is that place that you will only go if it means you get a deal. And so what that means is you won't go any further to get the deal. And you definitely won't go there unless you know it is going to deliver the deal. And so usually what we do with bottom lines is we set this bottom line, but it really is still aspirational. We are willing to go beyond the bottom line. And by virtue of that, it isn't really a bottom line. A bottom line should be where the alternative becomes better than the deal if you have to go beyond the bottom line. And in order to create bottom lines that will have influence and will cause us to be disciplined, we have to be real about what our absolute bottom line is. And so what that means is, as we establish our bottom line, we've got to look at our alternatives. And we've got to understand what is better, the alternative or the bottom line that we establish. And the bottom line has to be more valuable to us. It has to be better for us than the alternative. And if it is, then there's the place where we will only go if it means get a deal, but we won't go beyond it because going beyond it means it's a bad deal 
and a deal we shouldn't do. Now, it's also very important to understand we are not negotiating to the bottom line. We actually want to negotiate to an ideal outcome. And there should be a gap there between the ideal outcome and the bottom line. And that should be the gap that the process leads us to solve, hopefully closer to the ideal outcome than the bottom line. But on the worst day, hopefully it's a deal that gets done at or above the bottom line. So how do you establish this? Well, first, we've got to understand our alternative. I can't say that. Well, first, we've got to understand the alternatives. And if we understand the alternatives and we're clear about those, then we have the substance we need to establish the bottom line. The next thing I think that is really important for salespeople like yourself to do is to go and to test your bottom line with management, with the people that you have to respond to. Because what I find is so many people will go beyond their authority or go beyond the bottom line that they've set for the deal because they are scared not to bring home the deal. They want the business. They need the deal. They have the numbers to hit. And so there is a lot of pressure. And they'd rather deal with the fact that they gave up a little value than to come back and say, we didn't get a deal done and we're not going to move forward with the business. I totally get that. I've been in that situation. It is a tough place to be as a negotiator. But the way to handle it is on the front end, have everyone, management, operations, the team, have everyone agreed that a deal under those terms that are beyond the bottom line isn't a deal worth pursuing for the business or for the organization. And if everyone agrees, then it becomes easier to walk away. You have more courage to say no and to get up and to leave the table or to stop the negotiation. Now, there are some people that say, well, well, hold on, John. We want to get the business. We want to bring home the deal. What do we do if we get to the bottom line other than just getting up and walking away? What do we do? If we still want to get it, but it's not going to get done at our bottom line. Well, one thing is make them say no multiple times, or you may have to say no multiple times to where we're testing their bottom line. They might be testing our bottom line, but it may take multiple no's in order to get them to say yes to our bottom line or to help them understand that we are not going further, which then might cause them to say yes and do the deal. So first thing is understand it may take multiple no's. If you get those multiple no's, Then the next thing is to begin asking questions. What if we were able to do this? Or what if you did this, we might be able to accommodate you here? The what if question becomes huge because even after you've reached impasse, what if is a great way to figure out how to resolve that impasse. And so maybe you can give in some other areas of value that help them meet you in terms of the numbers where you don't have to violate your bottom line. Or maybe there's something that you can do that's of value to the other side that actually brings more value to you than what the bottom line does. And as a result of that, it gives you a little bit of flexibility at the end. 
And so there's several things that you can do. And then lastly, I think it's important to also think about when you reach impasse, this may be the moment where you have to take the conversation in a different direction. You've got to begin to explore interest again, and you've got to get creative in terms of trying to solve the problem because just your concessions and their concessions, they're not meeting up. That process isn't going to work. And so you've got to take the conversation in a completely different direction to where you understand what they're trying to achieve. They understand what you're trying to achieve and you try to solve that problem together. And in doing so, hopefully you can put a deal together. So a great question about the bottom line. We're going to talk more about the bottom line in an upcoming episode once we get there in terms of our preparation questions. But I wanted to jump on that because it's such an important question and I see so many people give away so much value when if we're a bit more disciplined, a bit more strategic, we know what to do in that moment where we get to the end and we're being pushed beyond our bottom line. There are ways to get deals done, to protect your profitability, and to be able to move the business forward. This episode is a great roadmap for how to turn your vision of success into reality. I remember riding on a bus in Xi'an, China, with Phil Bredesen, the former governor of Tennessee. And as we were riding on that bus, we got into a conversation, and he asked me what I wanted to do in life. There was my opportunity to present this vision of success. And then he followed up with some questions about how I was going to get there. Well, what I realized was that my answers to the questions about how I was going to get there, they weren't quite as strong as the vision of success I had in my head. I had some work to do. And I'll never forget the incredible advice that Governor Bredesen gave me to where he said, just do a great job at the job that you have right now. And that advice has been so applicable in life but it's applicable right here in thinking about negotiation preparation. We have great visions for success, but to get there, we've got to focus on preparing for the process that is in front of us that will be instrumental in delivering this deal and making that success a reality. Thank you for listening to the Negotiation Made Simple podcast. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.